No, I mean, it was, it was tough to be motivated. Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, I was, it was so much easier to just turn to my phone or my laptop and just recheck the same social media accounts over and over again. Um, thankfully, uh, when the pandemic started, uh, we have like our fan base kind of stepped in and uh, commissioned stuff. So I was able to do like some painting commissions at home. Um, but I didn't do any stuff for myself. You know, it was just that kind of motivation was gone. It sounds like they have saved your ass on numerous occasions. Yeah, yeah we, uh, we talk about uh, how we have a very, very passionate fan base, but they're spread very thin all over the country. And so, like, we can play most places around the country and we'll have, like, one to five people come out, just be, like, super excited. But, like, that's that's it. <laughs> Which is, like, perfect for the tour that inspired the book. You know, because you weren't, like, you know, you went to New York State, but you didn't go to New York City. No. No, we hardly ever go to New York City, actually. Um, it's just... A lot of the big cities we typically avoid just because there's so much competition for people's attention. Um, I mean, also in New York, it's like you got to pay to go in, you got to pay to go out, you got to pay to park, and it's all that. Oh, kind of I stuff. live here. I'm. I know. Yeah. <laughs> You've got kind of like a set, a set group of cities that you tend to. Oh uh, yeah, in, kind of the more- ones like one of our. I, I'd say one of our biggest cities is probably Denver. But we just have like a really good group of people. Like we got this really great DIY space in Denver. So it's the place that was in the Denver's book. a real city. Oh yeah, yeah. No, but I'm just saying like we that's the biggest city that we probably will regularly return to. You write about it a bit in the book, but like generally what is the process of booking a tour like? Just a lot of emails. Um uh Eric does all the booking for us and he does uh a lot of indie on the move.com, um, which is a great website for DIY musicians and you can just click on a state, click on a city. It gives you all the listings of all the different uh, venues. Um, and then you can choose the ones that would best suit you. You send out 20 emails, you get one back. Thankfully now we have like the people that we regularly return to. And so when we're coming through, they're just like, Oh yeah, we'll definitely, you know, book you guys. Um, but we're still like with the, with the book coming out on this last tour we went on, uh, this fall, we did a lot of bookstores. And so we're playing a lot of places we've never been before. Um, so that's been just kind of interesting to play, you know, different types of venues in cities. I guess you're pretty malleable in mm-hmm. that respect in that it's a piano and an easel, and it's pretty easy to do that in a bookstore. Yeah, yeah. It's a libraries, too, that we did on this tour, which was funny. It used to be a fuller bands, like 10 uh, years It ago, is right? sometimes. So just... Uh, just a couple of days ago, we played a show locally and we had a full band with us. We've got a drummer, a bass player, and a guitarist who will play with us. Um, they're just New England based and they can't uh, travel all the time. One of them's got a kid. And so they'll do – we were able to take them out to Illinois with us this summer. Um, but we got to work around their schedules. and So it's it's rare that we can tour with those guys. People get older and you know they have relationships they have kids Mm -hmm. and it's like it's impossible to say hey you know this thing that's not going to make any money can you just like be away from the family for a week or so yeah exactly um but because it is so like rare it's it's a fun time to go like for them it's like it's it's a vacation almost when we get to tour i guess a nice hack that the two of you figured out is to just be married to the other band member (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of understanding that comes along with that 
Great way to save money is to share finances. <laughs> it's also, you know, not uh, difficult to explain that you're going out for a week because yes, you're both going out for a week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's much harder for our bandmates to leave their partners at home. When did you actually technically start painting in the band? Right away, right when the band started. So um, I did some live art in college. Um, Eric and I met at the end of my college time. And uh, was it like a year later, he had planned a little tour, uh, just him. It was just going to be him and a piano. And uh, I just, I suggested I come along, you know, just do some live painting and see how it went. Um, Our first show was in New York City. And that summer, we just kind of like were bopping around, not really paying attention to our finances at all. And by the end of the summer, we'd made money just from auctioning off the paintings and like talking to other bands. And there's like, I'm in debt from tour. Like, how are you guys making money on tour? And so we're just like, you know what, let's quit our jobs and do this. It seems like this 45 day tour was pretty rough from a financial <laughs> standpoint. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's it, it a problem of scale. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a little bit of scale, a little bit of just the unexpected things with the car and, and the stuff like that that happened along the way. Um, we still came out on top, you know, because in the end, because um, we're pretty active on social media, like I said earlier, and, and we just posted about what we were going through and people just stepped in, bought albums online, you know, bought art online and we ended up breaking even. So it all worked out. I was reading an interview with you from 2011 and it mm-hmm. gave me, gave me a lot of good insight. It, you know, it's interesting to, to contrast that with now. And it seemed at the time that you were on the precipice of, of a lot of things. Um, you just started your Etsy store. Oh yeah. You were teaching and then you, you know, you, you said, I, th- I think this is finally the time that I'm going to be able to give this art thing like a real shot. Yeah. It sounds like it worked out pretty quickly in that respect. Yeah. Uh, we have a very optimistic view of how things are going to go. That probably, probably scares our families a little bit, but just like, you know, we are getting to the bottom of the bank account and they're scraping by and we're just like, I don't know how we're going to make it next month. And then something comes up and we make it another month. You know, it's just, we're, I think just having this like outlook and a lot of luck, we've been able to scrape by this whole time. And I'm basing this entirely on, on reading the book, but I, you know, I think that you're like me in that you experience a good deal of anxiety. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in that same interview, which I promise not to keep quoting from the entire time, but I think it was that one. Somebody asked you to give some advice to your younger self and you said, don't, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not freaking out about finances and having a lot of anxiety, like generalized anxiety. These two things seem to be in conflict with, with one another. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's funny. I, I don't really know how to put it into words, but it's just, yeah, some days you're great and some days you're not, you know, like <laughs> it's just the way that anxiety works. Um, I mean, at the, at the end of the book, we talk about how, we both started getting into therapy and that's continued on, you know, since the end of end of that tour and uh, just learning how to manage those anxieties with real life and, and the realities of how things are going. 
you know, you can, you can worry. Um, but then my therapist is just like, yeah, but like, look back on the last month, like none of those worries happened, you know, and just like try to learn from that kind of stuff. Was the decision to start talking to somebody, was that in part due to some of these stresses from that tour? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, we have a really good friend who is a therapist and, uh, at the end of that tour, we were kind of hanging out with them and, uh, I don't know, she was just, you know, talking us through some stuff and then, you know, recommended some people that we could go talk to. And it was, yeah, I mean, like Eric was having panic attacks pretty regularly. I wasn't sleeping. And it was all just, you know, from the the stress of just moving so quickly on that tour. And therapy has been really, really helpful. And thankfully, uh, we were able to do get like the sliding scale being self-employed working artists were able to qualify for some sliding scale stuff. So it's not really hurting us financially. This was a big struggle for you in, in the book. And it seemed in, in the moment, like you weren't, you weren't able to figure out what it was that was keeping you up at night. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. Like talking to my therapist about not being able to sleep and, and like coming to her with this problem. Like I can't sleep. How do I sleep? Like gave me some medication, gave me like whatever. And her coming at it being like, well, you know, the not sleep is, it's not the cause of your problems. It's, it's what's happening because like, it's uh, the symptom. Yeah, that's the symptom of the problems. Just like understanding from talking with her about how trying to dig back into like the root of like, what am I anxious about? Or like, what am I what is the the thing that's keeping me awake? And then taking that and being okay with feeling those things has that's been a huge thing for me of just like, all right, I'm anxious and I believe anxiety is bad, therefore I want to get rid of it. And her just being like, Well, you're anxious. It's okay to be anxious. You're anxious about being anxious and you're Right. Spiral. Yeah. And and like that, like, but just like being able to understand that has helped me sleep, which is just so it feels so basic. But it's been mind blowing. I find that any breakthrough seems like such a dramatic word, but in any sort of like realization that I have in therapy is usually just me talking through it. Right. Yeah. There's almost a sense in which like she doesn't even like need to be there. Uh-huh. I'm just like, you know, it could be anybody listening to me just basically yeah. talk through my problems and figure them out in real time. I was literally talking about this to Eric yesterday and just being like, it's embarrassing. It's embarrassing how basic some of this stuff is. And I'm just like, wow, look how mind blowing this is. Like if I am okay with being anxious, then I can sleep. Like, <laughs> I think it's because it's a lot easier to recognize these things in other people. And it's Absolutely. really hard to figure it out as you're going through it. Yeah. On a base level, it seemed as though you weren't worried about the financial thing, but at the same time, there may have been something subconscious going on that was actually keeping you up at night. Yeah. Yeah. I think like we're pretty good at lying to ourselves and like, like in, in the book, for example, like we're just like, oh, you know, if we don't do this record, it's not that big a deal. But I think that was a lie that we were telling ourselves and that like we like under it all, it, we really wanted to, you know, accomplish this goal. And just the anxiety of trying to hold it all together was really what was keeping those stress and anxiety levels pretty high. You discuss all of the Guinness Book qualifications to actually hit that number. And there were certain things that like by the nature of the band and how you tour, you weren't able to meet. So, you know, not you're really doing it for yourselves. And it seems to me that like the primary and I'm, I'm like this too. It seems to me that the primary motivator was to prove to yourself that you could do it. 
Mm-hmm. Learning that it wouldn't be officially recognized as a world record, was, did that put a damper on it initially? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it was. That was a tough thing to to deal with, and to validation is always what you're kind of striving for. And in, in even if it's just you know you want your friends to think that your job is legitimate or whatever, you know. Um, even the whole process of getting, yeah, your parents, even the whole process of getting this book published, like I've self-published a bunch of books, but now to have like a publisher who like looked at us and was just like, oh yeah, like we will back this book because we think we can make money on it. You know, like that validation is such a big thing, even though it's not that big, you know, it's just like, it's just in the back of your brain of just like, there's someone else out there like believes in me it would also be cool to have your names and your band name in the guinness book exactly yeah that would have been that would have been so cool to be able to like pull that thing off of a middle school library and (laughs) flip it open and see our names in it (laughs) the the scholastic book fair right yeah (laughs) i was thinking about validation um from the standpoint of auctioning your work off Mm -hmm. at the show so so, you know so, so there's a level of validation um, and just playing a live show generally, you know, um, how the crowd reacts, but then mm-hmm. you really get it. Like you're really faced with it in a way that a lot of people aren't when there's this like real time auction of your work happening in front of you. Yeah. It's bizarre. Um, for quite a few years, I would actually go to the bathroom during the live auction part just to not be right there when it was happening. Um, I've gotten some thicker skin, you know, so it's, it's easier to, to watch it in the past year or so it is, I mean, it, I hear from other artists talk about how they don't sell paintings, you know, a couple dozen paintings a year or whatever the way that I do. And, and even though they're not going for huge amounts or anything, it is, it's cool that I get to sell them. It's cool that it's especially cool that I get to know that I'm starting a lot of people's art collections. Like I have a lot of people who've never bought art before because they can't afford it or they're not in a space where they see art like real art being made. And it's that, that is a cool, really cool thing to, to hear from those people uh, after the fact of just like, Oh, I've got your painting. It's been, you know, up in my house for the past six years and, you know, started my decorating or whatever. You mentioned that you were doing live art prior to the band. How did you, how did you get into that aspect of things? Um, we went to a small school and, they had some events happening that they asked if, if any of the art majors wanted to do some live art for the events. It, it wasn't like a big deal or anything. I think there was one that was like a, like a coffee shop open mic thing. My friend was doing a reading and asked me to do some live art. And then there was another one that was like a church type of thing that they needed some live art for. So nothing huge. It was just, I, I, did some theater in college too. So it was like kind of used to just being on the stage and then doing live art. I've got my back to everybody. So I don't even have to look at the audience. Psychologically, obviously you're very aware that there are sure. eyes on you. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm sure it's like, it, it's not at, there's not as much pressure when there's, when it's Eric or when there's a band like actually playing with you. Cause there's a lot of mm-hmm. places people's eyes can be, but I don't know as far as, as far as anxiety goes. And as you know, what's really funny is I hate it. If anybody comes up while I'm just drawing, like if I'm like working on the book, for example, like work, working on the comics for this book, if I'm like sitting at my drawing desk and drawing and Eric comes up behind me, I get like really anxious. I'm just like, go away. You can't like, I'm not done yet. You can't look at it yet. 
which is the exact opposite of what I'm doing on stage where I'm like inviting people to watch the process. So it's, it's, I think it's about controlling when and where that happens. Well, it's also funny because, and I don't know how collaborative it was ultimately, but it is a collaborative book. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the way that collaboration worked was uh, the plan was I was going to do the whole thing myself. Um, it's all from my perspective. I made because the web comic is all you. Yeah, the web comic, the web comic is all me. Um, and I've always wanted to be a graphic novelist. Um, and so I, you know, compiled the entire story together, and then sat down to start writing the actual script, and realized I hated writing. <laughs> I just, <laughs> just it was tedious. It was like I was on every other like website, just wasting time, not being able to focus. And so uh, I, I asked Eric if he wanted to jump in and like kind of pull it together for me. Um, and so he was able to just put it into like a s- actual story and keep, try to keep it in my voice still. And then, you know, I went over it and made sure that it was, there weren't things that I wouldn't put in the story. And so that was how we collaborated on that, but it wasn't planned. In a lot of ways it is episodic. I mean, touring is episodic mm-hmm. from that standpoint. It's not super dissimilar from writing a web comic. Right. Yeah. And I was fine with that. I was able to like be like, okay, I definitely want to put in this little story. I want to put in this little story. I want to put in this little thing. Um, Eric was the one who really found the through line of the just basically the 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 anxiety that I was feeling throughout everything. Like I put that in there, but I wasn't able to see how it was all connected and how it was like kind of telling the story. Um, he was also able to help out with the the how to aspects of the book. That was like a later part of it um that i think was a suggestion by our agent but we had like a few little how-to things and then she was like oh why don't you like kind of make that a thing and sort of put that in with us breaking the fourth wall and then to break down like later as the anxiety gets worse and worse in the book and those how-to's you know we start to not really care about the actual how-to part of it uh yeah he was really good at just like really pulling it together to try to make it more cohesive even the title is a how-to Right. Yeah. And that that's funny too, because the title we that was a completely last minute title. Like we, it took us the book was done. Um, and then it was like I wanna say not even a year ago is when we came up with the title. And it made it made so much sense too, because we had all the how to's in there already. And so for it to be a how to title, but it was that, that was a really hard thing to come up with. <laughs> if you Google the name of the book and then scroll down a little bit, there's a, uh, you know, Quora, the Quora website. That yeah, yeah. People ask questions. It's somebody asking, what is the best way to lose your mind? And yeah. Replying <laughs> with, like, it's funny that, um, that that's something that somebody would seek out. But I guess in some sense, you, you kind of were. You, you yeah. knew it was going to be tough on you. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think we knew it was going to be quite that difficult. Like I said, we're pretty delusional, delusionally optimistic is what we referred to ourselves as. I was going to say the frustrating thing about it is that the car breaking down happened on your way home. But mm-hmm. but I mean, the, the flip side of that obviously is like things would have been much worse if the car had oh, yeah. broken yep. down on tour. Yeah. And that was a constant word. Like, I'm sure that was a constant anxiety in the back of our brains, too. Just like, what if the car breaks down? What if we can't make it to our next show? What if there's a snowstorm? What if there's a hurricane? What if, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. And the fact that it broke down on our way home, like obviously we're exhausted, but our very first 
optimistic thought was, oh, thank goodness this, we don't have a show tonight. Like, that's great. <laughs> I'm thinking of the times that, like, I've been, tra- like, I've uh, traveled long distances, you know, I, like, was on a plane to Asia and coming back, and then, like, I'm stuck in traffic on the Wagon Expressway, mm-hmm. and there's something about... There's something about that final stretch that is yep. just like so much worse than any other part. We we always talk about the worst drive. The worst part of our drives when we're on tour is as soon as we cross the border into Connecticut. And so if we're coming from the West and we cross the border, it's about two, two and a half hours to our home. And it's that last section is just so tedious. And it's like we can't get our brains into that like travel brain like mindset. It's just like. Like, we feel every single minute of that last two hours. When the two of you envisioned the idea, was it clear to you that this was something that you were going to write a book about? So the idea for the book showed up when uh, when we were in the airport to go to Alaska. Okay. So that was a s- second to last show? Yeah. So I literally said to Eric, we didn't put this into the book, but he's been, he's been telling the story on stage where we're running to catch our flight to go to Alaska. And I, as we're running, I turn to him and I just go, I think this would make a really cool book. <laughs> you needed that sort of like that cinematic moment to really yeah. realize that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I know a lot of people who do memoir and autobiographical comics and people, you know, who are doing them uh, like, like daily and, mm-hmm. and their default is to turn something into a story. Yeah. That's kind of always in the, in your brain a little bit when you're uh, like when I, I've been doing the, the webcomic for the past couple of years. And it's always just like, especially at shows, just looking around, just being like, that interaction be turned into a comic? Is this a funny little snippet that I can, is this relatable? Will people get this? Um, So yeah, that is always kind of in your head a little bit. That's why it surprises me that you only had that realization toward the end of the tour. Yeah. Well, I mean, this is the first long form book that I've done, you know, the first like graphic novel thing. And, uh, I had I had a few ideas for like and and we have some some projects in the works of like other graphic novels um, that we're working on now and that we were working on before, but yeah, that was I don't know it just felt really clear in that moment. You said we have some projects. It's, yeah, the collaboration will continue. Yeah, Eric is pretty good at we're we're both pretty good at coming up with ideas. And then, like I said, Eric's good at like actually fleshing them out into stories. This is like one of those things that nobody likes to admit that a lot of people experience it is that when you have this, this, when you've set this obligation for yourself that you're going to be making, especially the daily people, hmm. I, I don't know if you know, like Ben Snake Pit is an example of hmm. it. He does a, a daily comic that there's a degree to which people will have experiences for the sake of putting oh, yeah. them in their strip. Sure. Um, I have you heard of the um, hourly comic day? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I typically for hourly comic day, I don't draw the comics as they're happening. I'll pick a day and then just be like, this will be my hourly comic day. I'll record everything. And then tomorrow I'll draw what happened. And I try to pick a day when we're doing stuff, you know, like not a day when we're just sitting at home and I'm just sitting at the drawing board all day. So the hourly comic book day or hourly comic day is like, a specific day. Yeah, it's February 2nd. So I'll do, I, I might do like February 1st or like January 30th or something like that. And just be like, okay, this day, you know, I've got an appointment. I've got to talk to 
I've got a meeting that I've got to go to, or I've got this or that. And like, I think those would make more interesting hourly comic day stories. So I'll pick this day to do those things. Between the webcomic and this, it's, it's really has been auto bio. Yeah. Like basically, I don't know, has, has your entire comic output been that up to this point? Mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly pretty autobiographical stuff. Um, the comic, the graphic novel that we're working on now that like we're just kind of in the works with is a, it starts out auto bio and then it shifts. How are we describing it? It's a sci-fi. We're calling it like a graphic novel memoir with a sci-fi and theological twist. So it, it's magical realism maybe in there a bit. Kind of. It's like the, the whole idea is just the, the characters of us and how we met. That's real. And then uh, it turns into like these uh, celestial being beings watching us and trying to like mess with our lives. Um, I don't know. It's, it's fun. I'm really excited about it. <laughs> My agent thinks it's going to be impossible to sell though. <laughs> they were enthusiastic about this idea. It sounds like. Yeah. <laughs> when you were younger and you were envisioning, you know, I mean, it sound, it, it, you were kind of alluding to this before, but it sounds like you were really, you wanted to make making comics kind of your, your main thing. Yeah. What sorts of comics were you thinking about? Was it always some form of memoir? Um, no, not particularly. Uh, my dad had all the Calvin and Hobbes books. So, you know, those are my first, like, that, that, those are how I learned to read, honestly. That's a pretty common gateway, yeah. I find, through both reading and comics. Right. And then we, I grew up in northern Quebec, and we had a lot of, like, the uh, French and European... Uh, Asterix. Yeah, Asterix, uh, Tintin. Tintin, yeah. Lucky Luke, you know, like, all of that kind of stuff. Um, and so those were my first graphic novels, was that kind of stuff. I, I don't think I thought about doing autobio stuff until I was an adult. And I was just like seeing other people do autobio stuff online and thinking like, oh, that, you know, that would be a great way to start. I wanted to ask you about Northern Quebec. Like how Northern mm-hmm. are we talking about? Well, you got to drive from Connecticut. You got to drive for two days and then you got to take a, you got to take a train for 12 hours because there's no roads that go there. It's on the bay. No, no. It's in the middle of the, of the province. Yeah. So we're talking like Northern Lights. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Really great Northern Lights. Snow all the time. This is the thing about Canada, right? It's like populated by the U.S. border. And then right. as it gets colder, there are like fewer and fewer people. So mm-hmm. was- Yeah. My whole town was about 2,000 people. And yeah, the nearest other town was 12 hours away by train. No no roads. What's the closest? I mean, is it Quebec City? Is it Montreal? Uh, Setsil. That's on the um, yeah, is. I know. <laughs> yeah. Was it the kind of situation where you were like biting just just counting the moments until you could get out of there? Uh yeah, definitely by the time I became a teenager. Like I loved it as a little kid, just playing in the snow and all that kind of stuff. Um once I was a teenager though, like I lost a lot of my friends to drugs and alcohol and you know, people having kids. You know, I, I had a lot of friends who ha- ended up having babies when we were 13, 14. Um, yeah. And so it was, it was rough and lonely, but at the same time, because I was alone, I really got into art 
I don't know if I would have gotten into art as much as I did if it weren't for that living situation. And ultimately, you know, I still love that area of the world and I still love to return there. I, it, I don't, I, you know, as, as a, as a grumpy teenager, I resented living there for a while, but I don't now. When did you first realize that art was something that you, that, that you could do? Um, actually it wasn't until my senior year of high school. Uh, my parents came down. So in Quebec, high school only goes to grade 11. And so, uh, we came down for my senior year, uh, here in Connecticut. Um, that's how I ended up here. And, um, I actually, I kept thinking of like other jobs, like, like for a while. Like the family like, moved to Connecticut? Yeah. Yeah. Just for, so my dad like took a sabbatical. Um, my grandparents lived in this area. So it was like, oh, we'll be you know near the grandparents for a little while. But yeah, I was I was thinking about like quote unquote normal jobs. And my dad was an engineer. I was like, oh, maybe I could be an engineer. I maybe I could be a geologist, like all that kind of stuff. And then I had just a teacher in high school who just asked me, very matter of fact, like, so you're going to be an artist, like just like that. And it was like <laughs> it was like that kind of thing, like with the therapy, where it's like it's such a simple thing, but it kind of blew my mind open. I'm just like. I didn't even consider I could do that. Like, even though I, I knew I wanted to make comics and I knew I wanted to like have books, I always thought it would be a side gig. Yeah. I mean, comics, especially I have this conversation with a lot of cartoonists and it's, it's similar, you know, it's probably web comics in your world and that's a big part of it too, but it's the time it's, you know, seeing like uh, love and rockets or something and like mm-hmm. realizing that there is this world of smaller you know, self-published comics and mm-hmm. that it is something that like there, there, you, it is something you can get your foot into the door and actually do. Yeah. Yeah. Actually um, on this book tour, we did a, uh, we did a comics workshop at one of the libraries and talking to, it was like all teenagers and talking to them and just telling them how they have everything they need to make comics right now. Like they have, especially now, right. You know, like you've got a phone or an iPad, you've got a, paper and pencil you can take pictures you can like post it you can make yourself social media you can put them online and you're published there it is it's on for the world to see if you want it you know and that's pretty remarkable like if you want to make music you might need some more equipment if you want to make movies you definitely need more equipment but to do art and to just put it out there like i'm always trying to remind people like you don't need to buy expensive art supplies you can just use a ballpoint pen if you want to. Yeah, I, part of me is like glad that when I first, you know, decided in junior high school that I was going to, that I wanted to write and started writing that the internet wasn't as open to me. Oh, I'm at, so at glad I didn't have like social media as a kid. That would have been a nightmare. <laughs> I know a lot of, you know, very successful cartoonists now who I followed their career very, very early on. And like, it's rough. Like, you know, <laughs> the first comics anybody makes are, are rough stuff. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's just well, on even, the internet and, and even when you're established, like I was actually just reading, uh, what is her name? The Red Dot is her webcomic. And she just posted today of just like, she's getting, she post she put up a comic last night and she woke up the next morning to just hundreds of hate mail messages, just, just mocking her art. Like nothing, like she didn't say anything controversial or whatever. It's just, just people being jerks about it, you know? And it's just like, she's well-established. She's got a great fan base, but she still gets that kind of stuff. And it's, it sucks to have that kind of access to people who just want to, you know, bring you down and 
as a young artist, it would be devastating. Have you had an experience like that? Not hugely. I had a few, like, not even quite negative, just like not great comments. And then I realized I could turn off uh, comments by people who didn't follow me. And that seems to like really (laughs) curb the whole thing. Like I even had, uh, I had someone once send me a DM and was just like, why do you have commenting turned off? I was like, I I don't have it turned off. You just don't follow me. And because you don't follow me, I don't get your hate messages. And it's it's nice. (laughs) You assume that this person was going to send you hate messages, like based on the tone of the message? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) As you were talking about, you know, Eric or anybody else like walking up to you while you're making work, like really Mm -hmm. kind of like, like skeeving you out. I, I, I was thinking about the handful of times in the book where somebody touched your wet painting. Oh my goodness. <laughs> like that's a real trigger for you. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was just, I don't, it was, it was just hard to imagine that happening and then to see it happening was just ridiculous. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. It was really funny too. Cause we were on, uh, this book tour, we went to, uh, this this one place where that had happened you know and i saw a guy that looked like the guy that had touched the painting the art professor yeah and i was like hiding behind like stuff and just be like i think that's him and and people were just like yeah that's not him it just kind of looked like him but i was like oh my goodness (laughs) is it just like a like a form of disrespect is that the issue i guess i just i would never consider touching someone else's art it's just you don't know, like, I mean, for one, it was wet, you know, like, and then just to, I don't know, it's just, it just seems like common sense to me of just like, you know, you're in a museum and there's all these don't touch signs everywhere. It's just, you don't touch unless, unless someone is handing it to you or something, like, if, unless someone's obviously giving you like, here, go ahead. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's just a part of my brain that has trouble processing <laughs> Yeah, I mean, apparently in in Europe, I think it's a much bigger problem. They don't have the same kind of security, and people just love to oh, go really? up and touch paintings. Like, oh my it's a, <laughs> It's a big thing over there, but but I think that you know, it, I think that psychologically, you are you're giving people a very different experience. Uh, you know, sure. painting yeah. happening on stage versus a museum, so it's like right. it's kind of part of the show. So and I understand mo- and most why. people don't see that happening. Like like not that many people watch a painting get made, and it's very very unusual, especially in a bar or something like that, you know, where we typically are. So yeah, I know I, I can get that. <laughs> does that impact, does doing it uh, live and obviously like in a set amount of time, does that impact the process at all? Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. So during their shows, like Eric uh, will write a set list and I'll know exactly, you know, how many songs we're planning on doing for that show and keeping an eye on the time, uh, keeping an eye on like what I can or can't accomplish in the amount of time that we have. And then also just like the, uh, I get a, I get a strong vibe from whatever the venue is that we're playing in. And that will affect maybe the colors that I'm using, the, the imagery that I might put up. So, yeah. I partially mean, um, technique wise, you know, if you're doing something for speed. Sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, I use, you know, bigger brushes or, or maybe keep things a little bit more loose um, because of the amount of time that I have. You must have found some good shortcuts sure, in the past yeah. like, decade of doing this. 
Yeah, uh, it took me maybe about a year to realize that I could cover the whole canvas in color within a few seconds if I just use an old rag. And so I just like take an old rag, throw it in some paint and just like scrub the whole canvas down to get a color down first. And then even if I don't fully, even if something isn't fully finished by my standards, at least the whole canvas is covered, you know? Giving like people, it's like a shorthand for people to realize that the painting is like finished because there are no blank spots in it. Exactly. Yeah. Is it useful to have that that base color? And I mean, do you? Oh yeah. When you're not timed, do you do something similar? Yeah, yeah. I still do that. Um, it just it primes the canvas. Uh, it gets things. If you if you're just to paint straight onto a canvas, it just dries everything out real quick. So if you can prime it down first with a color, then it'll keep your uh, canvas uh, wet, and then you can like change things, scrape things off if you need to. Stuff like that. You mentioned teaching the the comics uh, workshop, and mm-hmm. you know, as, as I said before, ten years ago, prior to joining this band, you were you were teaching. Is, is is teaching art? Is that still a big part of your life? Not a constant. Um, I've done workshops or camps here and there. Um, I enjoy it, but I really don't like the uh, administration part of it. You know, just the, the behind the scenes of like the paperwork, the paperwork or the the having to work with, you know, when I was teaching art before the band, I worked at a school, a public school and uh, it was just really difficult to work with the, you know, the principal and the faculty and like all that kind of stuff. I love the kids, you know, actually being in the classroom, being with the kids is super fun. Um, I love getting to see kids start to develop that love of art and, you know, showing someone that they can do something that they didn't think they would ever be able to do is amazing. Were you able to get a, a, a bit of that in the comics workshop, even though it was kind of short and one off? Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was really cool. There was, uh, there, there was especially this one uh, girl that came and she was just so excited to be there, you know, and just like that, Getting to to getting to look at her work and it was good, but then being able to tell her that it was good and to see her face just light up and like, like oh this person that like she's admiring me because I'm a published comic artist, telling her that her work is good. It was just just like magic to see just the the way she reacted to that. Bright and astounding, she was made purely for. Black. 